Hello, my name is Scott Bradley, and this is Scott Score Podcast. Today I'm joined by former Rangers, Falkirk, Hull and Swansea City striker Daryl Duffy. We discuss what it was like coming through at Rangers, playing in the Champions League, winning promotion with Falkirk and finishing top goal scorer, his time in England and playing football in India. All this and so much more. Enjoy the show. So Daryl, was the plan always to be a professional footballer? Yeah, ever since I can, ever since I can remember. Um, from my earliest uh, memories of just kicking a ball all the time in my garden, in my house, getting shouted at by my mum to get out of the house. Um, do you know any kind of spare bit of grass wall that I could bounce a ball off of? Yeah, I was, I was always, always, always grew up dreaming and and wanting to be a professional footballer. Uh, who were some of the players that you looked up to growing up? Uh, Ali McCoist was my absolute hero. Um, even though when I was when I was younger, I played in midfield, um, and it wasn't until kind of later on that I got moved up front. But it was yeah, it was always Ali McCoist. Just the amount of goals that he, he used to score for Rangers was incredible. Like just loved watching him and loved seeing how how much he loved scoring goals as well. That was amazing. Hey, what was that feeling like when you signed that pro contract for Rangers? Uh, it was it was one of the best days ever. Um, you know, I, I went in when I was fourteen. Um, on like it was called S forms back then, so I was in a, a two year S form and um about you know six six to nine months before I turned sixteen. Um, you know they they told me there'd be a, a two year apprenticeship, two year pro contract, so a four year contract. Um, you know, if I wanted it to to leave school, which we just kind of briefly touched on there about academics and learning and stuff, and I was I was never interested in school. I was always quite good at school. I was always quite intelligent, and you know, I always I always got quite good grades and stuff like that. But it was never something that interested me. Um, so as soon as you know, as soon as I got offered that that four year deal, there was only ever going to be one outcome, and I was signing it and leaving school at sixteen. And then, so you, you, were a, you were part of the BBC documentary Blue Heaven, which focused mm-hmm. on young players at the club on their journey trying to get to the first team. What was it like being involved in something like that at such a young age? It was so cool to be asked, you know, if I would be one of the players that would be interested in, in kind of doing it. Like, it was it was such a, a good thing. I was like, yeah, like, kind of straight away. But unfortunately, I got injured right before the start of it. Um, and kind of most of my time was spent in the blooming rehab pool. Um, so yeah, so I didn't really get as involved as much as what I probably should have been. You know, there should have been a lot more of me on the pitch and, and training and stuff like that. Um, but it was still, it was still, it was an amazing thing and just something to look back on now and cringe at and and enjoy in equal measure. And what was it like being amongst that Rangers first team? Was it quite daunting? At the time, yeah, you know, you because you're only ever used to seeing these guys on on TV or from up in the stand. Um, even you know, before I went in, you know, when I was fourteen to sixteen, we would train at nights at Ibrooks, so you never even saw the first team. And then um, when I signed at sixteen, we were were based at Ibrooks, uh, Murray Park, Ockenhowie wasn't wasn't ready at that point. It was being built. And um, sort of sixteen, I would I would get a taxi, two buses, and then I'd walk to to get to iBooks every day. And, and fortunately enough, my job was first team kit, so I had to be in, and I would be responsible for all the the balls, the bibs, 
all of that before training. And then after training, when the first team came back, I got to float about the first team changing room and I was responsible for picking up all the dirty kit and keeping the changing room in that nice and yeah, nice and clean. So I actually got loads of interaction like with the first team boys, which was was brilliant. But you know, that first probably couple of months you're going in and you're just you're staring at people and you're like, oh my God, that's him. Is he actually real? <laughs> it, was, um, it, was, it was so cool. So I was a Rangers fan growing up as well. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. Hey, who were some of the first team players that looked out for you? Um, I can always remember Alan Johnston was one of the kind of first ones. He lived not that far from me. He lived in Houston and like I was a Limwood boy. Um, and whenever... You know, I kind of got finished at the same time as him, and he was finished. He would always offer me a left home and stuff like that. Um, so he was he was brilliant. Um, and then kind of later on, when I when I got a wee bit older, Morris Ross was always brilliant with me as well. Um, you know, he was he was only three years older than me, two or three years older than me more. Um, so he'd been in kind of seen and done it all before me. And um, when I broke into the first team, I had to come on for more a couple of times, like strangely enough. Um, so those two are always kind of two that kind of stick out as you know going kind of out their way to kind of help you and give you advice and you know have a wee chat with you. It's a simple thing like like Alan Johnson dropped me off at home instead of me having to get the the taxi, the walk, the walk, the taxi, the two buses to get home. Um, so we things like that kind of stick out, you know, from a, a kind of human point of view rather than um, you know the kind of football side of things only. Mm. And what was it, Alex McLeish, like with you? He was good with me as well, you know. He, he would always like speak to you, and make time to kind of chat with you and give you advice. And um, you know, you need to work on this, you need to work on that. You're good at this, you're good at that. Try and do that more. So, um, so he was good as well. Um, I didn't get loads of like training time with the first team, which was kind of weird. Um, because usually you would kind of spend a lot of time training with the first team, and then you would kind of go into make your debut and stuff like that. But mine kind of come out of the blue like I hadn't really been training too much with the first team I'd be over like the odd time here and there you would get kind of called over to, to go and train with them um, so my debut kind of came out of the blue so I didn't get loads and loads of interaction like with the manager um, but like say what the little bits that I did um, you know he was good Yeah but what was that like when you made your debut for Rangers because as you said you grew up being a Rangers fan that must have been a, a real special moment for yourself and the family Yeah it was Again, you're kind of you. You pinch yourself, and I probably didn't realize at that age. And I was I was only nineteen at the time, so I didn't probably realize at that time um, how big a kind of thing it was. It's you know it's maybe not till you're a wee bit later, and you've kind of grown up a wee bit, you're more matured, or you've experienced other things that you kind of realize. God, that was absolutely massive. That was like a huge thing. Um, but I, I like made my debut in the Champions League and stuff like that, and I, I kept that. That jersey, like I was always one for keeping my jersey. A lot of people, a lot of players swap, um, but I always wanted to keep all my own, my own jerseys, and I kept my my Rangers Champions League jersey. And to this day, it's, it's still my my favourite and most treasured item that I own. Who was it that you played in Champions League? Uh, it was a home game against Panathinaikos um, in the group stages. Um, and it was, yeah, it was incredible. I played the last, like, 12 minutes or so. Um, we were losing at the time when I came on, unfortunately. We did lose the game. We lost 2-1. Um, but still, it was it was an unbelievable experience. Like, and it's a night I'll never never forget. 
And uh, after you leave uh, Rangers, uh, Daryl, you signed for Falkirk, and it was mm-hmm. uh, you end up signing for big uh, John Hughes, big Yogi. Yeah, like yeah. For him. What a character he is! I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I left Rangers, or I, I kind of decided to leave Rangers because I wanted to play more first team football. You know, I'd, I'd been playing under twenty ones for three years by that that point and um I felt that I needed to leave to, to kind of develop as a, a player mentally and physically um and play against men and had options of Partick Thistle, St Johnston, um Falkirk and you know I went and kind of met all the managers and stuff. But um I was a wee bit apprehensive about going to meet Yogi because he had a reputation of being a big hard man and um you know like real horrible, nasty and that was the kind of reputation of he's a player. He, he hadn't been a manager for too long at that point. Um, so I was kind of, I was going to expect, you know, he's just going to want people that are, you know, physical, tough, horrible, nasty players. Like, and he's, that's what he's going to want his teams and his players. And I went and met him and, you know, he was, he was chatting away and his philosophy was all about getting the ball on the floor and, you know, working hard, getting the ball on the floor and making the ball do the work and, no, that was that was music to my ears, um, and I, I absolutely loved it. And after after that meeting with him, after that one conversation with him, when um, you touched on earlier as well, it was supposed to be like a half hour meeting. It went on for about an hour. Um, these two young daughters, the twins, were in in the office at that time. He was he was papping them off to my my girlfriend at the time, Claire. She's now my wife. Um, she was getting packed off for the twins so that we could sit and have a chat and. It ended up going on for ages and ages, and um, well, it was there was only one place I was going after that, and it turned out to be a brilliant move. Hey, what's it, your best John Hughes story? Because I imagine you've got quite a lot. <laughs> um, I know. I'm trying to think of one that's, that's reasonably broadcastable as well. Um, <laughs> I can, I, one thing always sticks with my head. It wasn't anything to do with me. I just happened to be in the corridor and witness this at this one point um, with a boy. Um, Called McSween, who was he was a cracking player, like had loads of ability, um, but was constantly injured. Like he's just one of these players that just suffered with injuries all the time, and um, so he was always always in the treatment room, and Yogi was always in it, the treatment room, calling everybody soft, and you know, yeah, it's nothing wrong with you, mate. You know, because that's the way he was as a as a player, um, hard as nails, and there was one time McSween went like running past me. In the corridor, come out the physio office and running past me in the corridor. I'm like, what? What's, what's going on with him? And the next thing, Yogi's coming out, coming out the changing room, chasing after him with a scalpel. Like, come here, I'll fix that knee for you, son. Come here, he'll be back in, back in no time. And he goes running away past me with a scalpel, <laughs> chasing one of the boys in the hallway. I was like, oh, that's typical Yogi, that in our, in our day in Falkirk. Oh, that that is tremendous! And obviously, you were brilliant under uh, Yogi Daro. Um, the season that he's won the league, you finished top goal scorer. How would you look back on that season? That must have been a proud moment for yourself, finishing top goal scorer. Yeah, I mean, like, it's my first full season as like a kind of first team player, an established first team player. Um, you know, I was, I, I, kind of, you, you think you're ready, you know, to play first team football. I thought I was ready from I was eighteen years old. Um, but I was, you know, I was twenty this time. Just even that justification that you know you'd done the right thing. I was ready, um, and it was it was a brilliant season. Like personally, um, I ended up the season on on twenty seven goals, um, one like young player of the year. I got into the Scotland under twenty one setup. I ended up getting two caps for the Scotland B team. Um, 
so yeah, it went it went beyond expectations. You know, I, I wanted to go in and have a, a kind of solid debut season. Um, you know, if I could if I could win a trophy, brilliant. If I could win some individual awards along the way, brilliant. And I ended up doing it all and more. Um, so yeah, it was it was incredible, mate. And again, it's another point of my career that I look back on like with major fondness. What were the celebrations like after you won the league title, like in the final? Well, obviously you got it secured much earlier on the season, but what was it like? Yeah. In the last game of the season, where he's like the season's done now, now we can actually party. What were they celebrating? Yeah, it's that <laughs> it's that kind of relief almost that you know it's it's done and it's official because like you say it was it was kind of wrapped up by January. Um, so we were so far ahead and it kind of it kind of made it drag in a wee bit, like from you know from then on in because you just wanted to you know get that confirmation like it's mathematically done. Um, you know, we're up to the Premier League and then you know, we'd we a brilliant changing room, like absolutely brilliant changing room, like we had a lot of kind of old school guys in there who just loved a bevy and stuff and um yeah, so you can you can imagine like it was one or one or two glasses of, of beer had at the time. <laughs> you know, it was it was amazing. Um a lot of headaches over over the the weekend of that week and probably a couple of weekends after that as well. Um oh. but I was I was weird enough, I've never been a massive drinker. Um I was a bit more of a drinker back then. Um but yeah that was definitely one time that I think everybody, big drinker, not a big drinker, kinda let their head down, let their hair down and went a bit wild. Have you got any brilliant Russell Latapi stories? Oh, just all the usual ones. Like, me man was so chilled. Like, you just couldn't get a change of tune at him. But I don't think you would ever want to get a change of tune at him. Like, he was just brilliant. Like, he was brilliant in the changing room. He was so composed and so relaxed and so knowledgeable um, about football. And just, you know, I just always remember, like, laughing and pissing myself laughing, like, all the time because... Yogi would be like doing a team talk or whatever, and he'd be like, Tappy, what Tappy? Where's what Tappy? And he'd, he'd been in the toilet, he'd been in the toilet, he'd been one of the cubicles sitting smoking a fag in the cubicle in the toilet. And he's like, Yeah, Yogi, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> and you just had to, you had to accept that with him. Like he was, he was a complete maverick um, and an absolute genius with the football at his feet. Um, you know, like when I one of the first conversations I had with him, he's like, "Just give me the ball, like give me it." So if I've got two or three men around me, just pass me the ball, pass me. It. He's like, "Never, never not pass me the ball." If there's a clear pass on, like never not pass me. It. And I was like, "All right, <laughs> you know what I mean?" Like, okay. Um, and then he's one of the few guys I've ever came across in my career that he actually said what he meant and he did. What he said, like he was, he was incredible, unbelievable, best player I've ever played with. Yeah, that's what Yogi said as well. Yogi said that to me. He was like, because Yogi's played with a lot of great players, and he was like, yeah, Latapi's the best one I played with. Yeah, I've played with a lot of good players in my career as well. You know, like Lee Trundle and Ricky Lambert, and um, I'm trying to think of some others, but like Nick Barnby at Hull City. Um, I've played with some some unbelievable players and against some unbelievable players and Russell's yeah, 
he's just different class and he was in his twilight then as well like I would have loved to have seen him when he was in his mid mid early 20s like he must have been yeah, he must have been a joke then like when he could run about not that he would have run about but he could have he could have run about a bit more than what he did when he when he was older but um, nah, genius genius for football Are you still keep in contact with him? No, I can I did for the first few years after I left Falkirk. Um you know, I kinda of spoke to him and to Yogi and I wish I'd kinda of listened to the both of them a wee bit more actually. Because they were both like when the, the opportunity kinda of came around to leave Falkirk in the January, they were like the both of them were kinda of like like it's obviously it's up to you, it's your decision, but um they both kinda of advised that I'd stay to the summer and not go in the January and then kinda of reevaluate and I kinda of wish I'd kind of listened to them a wee bit because it didn't really work out that well at all um, when I moved in the January and I, I never moved in the January window after that like I did learn my lesson um, but no I, just on social media I keep up with him on social media and he's never changed he never will and I hope he never does and so, so you, you mentioned that you went to Hull uh, Daryl how would you look back in your time there because as you said it didn't really work out at the time it, it seemed like too good an opportunity to turn down um, you know they were English Championship. They were managed at that time by Peter Taylor, who was combining his role as Hull City head coach with England under twenty one head coach. Um, and his his reputation of working with England under twenty ones and developing young players, you know, and and taking them taking their game on to the next level. Like I just thought it was far too good an opportunity to to turn down to go and learn offer. A guy like that, um, and you know, and when I first went down, he was he was like kind of rap main cotton wool type of thing. He's like, look, we are we're in a bit of a kind of sticky situation at the minute, or we're kind of near the bottom of the league, fighting relegation. He's like, I'm not, I don't want to throw you in at the deep end. He's like, you're going to be involved all the time. He's like, but you're maybe not start as much as you would like. He's like, but don't get frustrated because like next year, he's like, I've already got targets for next year, and I'm going to bring players in that I think will complement you. And he's like, and I, I think I expect you to be Hull's top goal scorer, play of the year, like from next season. He's like, I just want you to use this kind of six months as like a bed and in period. So I was, I was happy with that. I was, you know, more than happy with that. Um, and then he buggered off in the summer to Crystal Palace. So, <laughs> oh, for God's sake, so that was the end of that. Yeah. So, how many clubs did you play for in England overall? Because it seemed like you were all over the place going from club to club and that must yeah. have been quite like for a player that at your age so young as well that must have been quite frustrating yeah I mean it was that's why I had so many clubs because I was never happy sitting on a bench or you know being told that you're not part of the plans I was never a player that was going to just sit and be like okay well you know I've got like two or three years of my contract here I'm just going to sit and take my money and train every day I was never Never like I've probably my own worst enemy in that kind of respect. Um, impatience is one of my worst attributes, probably. Um, but yeah, so I've only got myself to blame that I've I've had so many clubs, and I see to be honest, like I I wouldn't probably change it. Um, you know, because as soon as I was told I was surplus to requirements or I wasn't the type of player that the managers wanted, I was like, right, okay, like well, let me go and play somewhere. I want to go somewhere that. You know, I'm going to get an opportunity, and I'm going to play football because that's, you know, as as we kind of touched on at the start, like it was just all I ever dreamed of. I never dreamed of the money side of things. I just dreamed of playing football for a job, um, and that's all I ever wanted. So, yeah, I ended up Hull. I had two loan spells, 
from Hull to, to Hartlepool and then went to Swansea, made the Swansea one permanent. Um, after Swansea, I went to Bristol Rovers, um, had another loan spell from Bristol Rovers to Carlisle, um, and then I had, had one back up at Hibs, reunited with Yogi at Hibs, and then I had two years at Cheltenham after that. Mm. And that was that was my that was my time in England. So how would you look back overall in your time in England and obviously Wales as well when you were at Swansea? Yeah, like again, very, very mixed, very up and down. Like um went to Hull, didn't work out there. Um had two brilliant loan spells on loan at, at Hartlepool and uh, Swansea, then signed for Swansea permanently, won League One that season. Um, so another, you know, another league title and um, another medal that I've that I'll keep up on my loft, and it's something again I, I look back on fondly, not as fondly as the Falkirk one because I was I was a lot I was I played every game um, for Falkirk. I was a bit more in and out at, at Swansea as well, um, and then went to Bristol Rovers and again first season. Absolutely loved it. it. Was flying. I think I got eighteen goals in my first season, and then again fell out of favour after that. Um, didn't really play much. Had a loan spell at, at Carlisle. Pulled my hamstring, so that didn't come off either. Again, being my own worst enemy, I was like, right, I'm out on loan. I want to make this this work, and I pulled my hamstring in the first game. And instead of saying to the club, I've pulled my hamstring and going to see the physio, I was like, and I, I'm out on loan to play games. I'm not out on loan to sit in the physio room, and I played with. I played with a pulled hamstring. It's <laughs> just stupid. Like so stupid. When I, when I look at it, look back on it now and I talk about it out loud now, it's so stupid. Um so yeah, so kind of mixed and then at Cheltenham, my last one at Cheltenham. Again, I was I think I scored 15 goals or something like that in my first season. We got to the we got to the League Two playoff final and then lost lost that, unfortunately. But again, great memories. Um great memories and some great Great stories from then. I, I scored the winner in the FA Cup. They got us a an away tie against Spurs. Um, so yeah, things like that you look back on on fondly. So yeah, very a very mixed bag from my time in England, to be honest. What do what do managers think of um, how stubborn like you are? Like, did they ever get like frustrated by it? I don't know. Actually, it's a pretty good question. Um, it's probably something now that um. I've kind of retired now from the playing side and I'm interested in imagine it's probably a good question and it's one that I'd quite like to ask managers you know that have probably dealt with me in the past maybe not so much Yogi because you know I played really well for Yogi and you know and as long as you worked hard for him and you gave him everything you know you're always going to get on well with him and that was me that was the kind of type of player I was um, you know maybe kind of managers that you know I wasn't there a cup of tea for whatever reason. It would be nice to kind of pick their brains at one point in the future and say, you know, ask just ask them that question just out of curiosity, just to see, just to see what they thought. Yeah. So, so how would you deal with it? Obviously, you were saying you want to get into Mandarin, right? How would you deal with uh, someone like yourself, right? Who is very stubborn, uh, no patience. You're like, no, like I'm, I'm doing this, but I want to go out and learn. I want to play football, and then yeah, it like ends up picking it up at it like an injury in that. Like, how would you deal with someone like that? That's... It's a good. You just need to try and be as honest upfront. Like I'm, if you're upfront, you're honest with me. Like I'm absolutely fine. You know, if you say like I don't rate you as a player, you're not going to play in my team because I don't think you're a good football player. I'm like, okay, fine, no problem. 
it was always that no, you're a part of my plans, like you're not going anywhere, like teams are coming in for you, and like, no, you're not leaving, you're like staying here, you're gonna be part, and then you don't play. Like I'm in the stand or I'm on the on the bench and I don't come on like that. And I that was what infuriated me and, and frustrated me more. Um so I think I would deal with it by just being totally honest and you know, telling a player, look, you're you're not gonna play. So if you want to go on loan, you can. Um, or if you want to try and find your, yourself a new club, you know you can. Um, rather than the, you know, the, the kind of try keep them happy by telling them things that aren't true, really, just because you need them for your selfish reasons. So I, I hope if I was a manager, I, w- I wouldn't do things for for selfish reasons and just be kind of honest with players. And you know, I, I think that. You know, you can't really go too wrong with, with honesty, to be honest. There's nobody, if you're just honest with people, they can't pick holes in what you're saying or, you know, they can't counter-argue with you. Um, so I hope, I hope, mate, that that's how I would be, but you never know until you're in that position. You know, you could be in a team where you're, you're struggling for players or you're, you're struggling financially and you need every player you've got and you tell them whatever they need to hear to, to keep them on board. I, I don't know, but I hope I wouldn't do that, but you never know, mate. I want managers who are like that with you, where they wouldn't like they'll be very vague, they'll be trying to tell you what you want to hear, and then they end up like, yeah, just part of my plans. Then, as you said, you don't get game time. What managers were like that with you? Um, it was always in my kind of second season for some reason. Um, like <sighs> Phil Parkinson came in at Hull after Peter Taylor left and he was just honest he just went like I don't rate Scottish football I don't like Scottish players like you're not going to play for my team like that was the, the conversation I had with him right after um, Peter Taylor left that summer um, so at least you kind of know I kind of knew where I stood I was like right okay I've still got like a long time left on my contract here but and I just at that time I just got my head down I got my head down and worked hard and I ended up getting an East team Um you know, after pre-season. Um, and then Phil Brown came in after that. And again, he was he was great to me. He was like, look, I, I'd had my loan spell by this time at Hartlepool and Swansea and um, both of them wanted me. And again, he was honest. He's like, look, you can stay here. He's like, I've got no issue whatsoever with you staying at home fighting for your place. He's like, but if you want to go and try and, you know, try your luck there. And again, I was fine with that. That was good. So I went there. Um Roberto Martinez was the same at Swansea. I, I was brilliant under him on my loan spell. Started off the season really well, then got injured, fell at the team, and he said, "Look, I've changed the formation. I don't think the formation suits the way you play." Um, and that that was fine. You know, I was like, I, "I agree with you. Actually, I agree with you. You know, I, I don't think I'm a, a one up front type of striker." Whereas when I when I first went in, we were playing me two up front. So again, that was fine. Um, Went to Bristol Rovers, Paul Trott was the manager, first season was great. And then after that, I just never really played much. Um, I said, I struck up a real good partnership with Ricky Lambert. And in the second season, never played. And I kept asking, like, what do I need to do more to play more? He was just like, I'll just keep doing what you're doing. And I never played. So doing what I was doing obviously wasn't working. So I would like to have a bit of honesty, a wee bit more honesty with that one. Um, Mark Yates was at Cheltenham again, similar sort of thing. Whereas I was flying in the first season, we got to the playoff final. 
Um, I actually got dropped for the playoff final. I was top goal scorer and I got dropped for the playoff final at Wembley as well, which kind of hurt. That was a, a tough one to take. And then the second season, I hardly kicked the ball after that. And he was kind of saying the same things to me, like, you're a massive part of my plans. You know, like, you're not going anywhere. And I, I must have went in about once a month, I think, for the first six months of that season. And, um, you know, I ended up not going anywhere. I ended up staying staying there for the, the full season. Um, so, yeah, so those those two were the kind of the frustrating ones um, and ones that kind of stick out in my mind that if I'm ever in that position as a manager, I would, I would try and do it a bit better, to you know, handle it a wee bit better. And uh, you ended up going to India, Daryl. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk me through how that move came about. It was Alan Gow. Like, Gowser, me and Gowser played together at, at Falkirk. Um, and we, we got on well. Me and Gowser, like, we kept in touch after that. We we bumped into each other a few times playing against each other in England. Um, and it was during this second season at Cheltenham um, where I was kind of speaking to him more and more. Um, when I was getting really frustrated about not not playing and not being given opportunities to play or go anywhere else. <clears throat> and it was kind of at that stage where I was like, oh, right, I'm kind of, I need a new challenge here. I need to get out of Britain and um, try and get a new challenge because I felt that the, the same thing was just kind of happening over and over again, playing for a season, doing really well, and then getting replaced practically in, in the second season for for no reason and, and not really being given an opportunity to get back in. Um, so I was speaking to Gowser and he was like, oh, I'd, I'd done like six months out in India. He's like, if you're thinking about a new challenge, like I've got contacts out there. Um, he said, like, I, I went out and, you know, he kind of told me all about it. And I was like, right, okay, like I'll, I'll kind of think about it. And it was one of those ones I was like, I said I was going to think about it, but I wasn't really going to think about it. Um, but then kind of six months passed, nothing had changed at, at Cheltenham. And he spoke to me again. He's like, look, there's this opportunity and he, he could kind of go into more detail about it at this point. You know, he was like, oh, it was, it's in Goa. You know, this would be your, your kind of lifestyle and stuff like that. And it was after I kind of spoke to my wife because she obviously knew all of this and she had to deal with me when I was being grumpy and all that, no playing and stuff. So, um, and she was kind of encouraging of it as well. She said, look, why don't we? Why don't we go out and you know give it a bash? Like if we don't like it, we'll come back. Like it's not, it's not like you're you know you're stuck out there for five years or whatever. Because I was only going to be signing like a one year deal. Um, so yeah, so it was it was Gowser, it was Alan Gow who kind of spoke to me about it and kind of convinced me. And then after you know kind of speaking to my wife, we just decided, why not? Like it's not going to be any worse than than what it has been for me. You know, in the years leading up to to the move. So yeah. So when and I had to go out first. So I got a, like I had to get a working visa, and I went out first, and I had to be out there for myself for like six to eight weeks because I had to be out and working before I could even apply for a visa for my wife and kids. And it was all paperwork by this time. None of it was done online. It was all like paperwork and post. And over in India, it's, it was the least efficient country in the world, I think, at this point. But with things like this, so everything just took forever. And I absolutely hated it for that first six to eight weeks being there on my own. Hated it. 
Like, I was on the phone to my wife, and I was like, this is awful, like, I'm coming back. And she was like, no, no, like, just, we'll be there soon. Like, just kind of dig in. So I did, I dug in, and it was amazing, the move in the end. Absolutely amazing. As soon as my wife and kids were over, like, it just, I relaxed, you know, I, I stopped worrying about everything and um, spent three amazing years in Goa. Our last year was in Calcutta. And again, it's it's a period of my career that I look back on fondly, and I would, wouldn't change, wouldn't change anything about it. And I can imagine money was alright as well, Daryl. It was good, aye. It was good, and it's it's tax free, and it's dirt cheap to live over there as well. Like dirt cheap. It's a joke, actually. Like you come back to living in Scotland, and everything just makes you aging. How expensive everything is. Like everything. It's just so expensive and you get taxed on everything. Like you don't get taxed on anything over there. Like you don't get taxed on your petrol, you don't get taxed on your food shop, and you don't get road tax. You know, you don't get all these taxes over there. Um so you save an absolute fortune as well, which is good. Hey, what was the standard of football like over there? It wasn't brilliant when I first went over, it wasn't great. Like I'd probably can I say it's more like it was like kind of part-time football in Scotland. Um but more so because there was no like academies or anything in India at that point. Um, so players basically played boys club or they played professional. So there was no real tactical knowledge imparted on the players. Like they, they, they weren't getting professional coaching until they were in a first team at 19, 20 years old. That would be their first experience of like professional coaching and learning about formations and tactics and how he actually properly play the game. Um, like physically, technically, like Indian footballers were amazing, like really, really good technically. Um, but they had a lot of development, mental development to do on the mental side of the game. Um, and that got that got better every single year that I was there, to the point that when when I kind of left after after my fourth year, the standard was like really good, really high um, in comparison to my first year. So overall, Daryl, how would you look back on your playing career? Oh, um, overall, with pride and mostly satisfaction. Um, do you know, I touched on the kind of move in January that, that I think was a mistake. Um and it's probably the only part of my my career that I had a time machine that I could go back and change. I probably would change. I probably wouldn't move in the January. I would have waited till the summer. Um, and then you never know, you know, you never know. After that, like, my whole career landscape could be completely different to, to what it is now. It could make it a lot better than what it was. It could have made it a lot worse than what it was. Um and overall, I'm I'm pretty proud of my career. You know, I've made just under six hundred career appearances. I scored two hundred and fifteen goals. I got eight caps for Scotland under twenty ones. I got two B caps. I've won the, the Scottish Championship twice. I've won English League One once. Um, got to a playoff final at Wembley, and I've won two trophies in India as well. So, um. Do you know, I got, I got a lot of indiv- individual awards along the way, you know, players of the years, top goal scorers, um, so things like that, player of the month awards, and that's all, all things that you can't help but look on, look back on, you know, with pride, so, yeah, pretty, pretty pleased, mate.
Oh, definitely, Daryl. And uh, obviously, you're doing your pro license right now. How are you finding that? Mm. Really tough. <laughs> the licenses are, you know, really um, like you've got a kind of practical and a theoretical side now to your theory and B and your your pro licenses and stuff and like the the theory side of things is a lot more than kind of what I was expecting. I, I expected it to kind of be like maybe 90% practical, you know, 10% theoretical and, and paperwork and stuff, but it's probably about 50-50 now. Um, so it is, it's, it's hard work, it's physical hard work, it's mental hard work, um, but, you know, it's all it's all worth the ultimate end goal at the end of the day. You know, you, you want to get as many qualifications as you can, you want to manage at the highest level you can and, you know, to manage at the highest level you need you need these licenses. So um so yeah, it's something it's something that I, I actually enjoy the courses when I'm on them. See when I'm at the grass and I'm doing the coaching side, the practical side of things, I absolutely love it. I love it. Um but then you you know you, you have to deal with all the, the classwork side and the paperwork side and stuff like that, which I'm not a huge fan of, but um, as long as it gets me to, to where I need to be at the end of the day, then it's all worthwhile. Uh, is there any managers that you speak to right now, Daryl, who are like giving you a bit of advice here and there? I do. I, I reach out to to people um, quite a lot whenever I need them. Um, you know, Yogi, uh, Brian Hughes, uh, Brian Rice, sorry, um, Chipper, who was at Falkirk as well. Um, so I, I speak to Chipper if I ever need advice. I speak to Yogi if I ever need advice. I do like to kind of reach out to the kind of older, older guys who have kind of been there, seen it, done it all. Um, I'm I'm close with the the B team assistant manager Malky Thompson at Rangers. Um, I speak to him all the time as well. Um, just for advice and other players, I speak to other players that are now moved into management too. Um, you know, and I kind of pick their brains and get their experiences and things that they've learned. Um, you know, people that maybe have been on the B, B and A license courses. Um, you know, you try and keep in touch with, with as many people as possible because you can never have too much information. You can never have too much advice. You can never have too much experiences from other people. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Brilliant, mate. It's been, it's been, it's been a, a ride for sure. Oh, I can imagine, Daryl. And uh, and I'll ask you, who's the best player that you've played against? Oh, I can remember. I can remember playing against um, Arjen Robin and Wesley Schneider for for Holland when I was playing when I played for Scotland. And I can remember thinking, these guys aren't the same age as us, right? These guys aren't the same ages. <laughs> they're way too good and way too fast and way too strong, like to to be the same ages. I was like, it's not possible. And it was like, I think I was at like sixteen. I think we were sixteen or seventeen at the time, and I can always remember like trying to remember these guys' names, and then the two of them. I mean, Schneider ended up at Real Madrid, so um, the two of them were were incredible, and I I can remember. Um, I was at a tournament, I never played against him, but he was in the, the team below again. It was playing in a tournament called La Tournoi um, for Scotland. It was in France, and it was the team the year below us, um, Benzema played. And I remember watching him 
as well at that age. And it was that, that same sort of thing. Like this guy's no, this guy's a joke. Like he's no serious. Like he can't, he can't be that good. And he was playing above. He was playing a year above his his level as well. Um, so those are the three that always stick out from like a young age. And you're thinking, Jesus, like is that how good some people can actually be in football? Like that's scary. Uh, the best manager you played for. Uh, Yogi, without doubt, that the eighteen months that I had at Falkirk was the most enjoyable and probably the, the most prolonged and um, successful period. Um, I did love working under Roberto Martinez at Swansea as well. Again, even though I, I wasn't like a main uh, pick every week after you know after my injury and the change of formation and stuff, I still loved it. I loved training every day. I loved the atmosphere and the changing room and stuff. Um, uh, it's probably not a coincidence that we won leagues in both of those teams as well, which obviously makes a difference. Um, so yeah, definitely those two. Uh, best moment in football? Champions League debut for Rangers, closely followed up by the, the top goal scorer, double double cup winning season with Falkirk. Best pal in football? Ooh, Wait, that's, a good, good year, mate. <laughs> that's a good question, I know. Um who do I still speak to regular? I still speak regular to uh, uh, Scott Robertson, who was most recently at, with at, at Stranra, spent his time at Airdrie. Gowser, Alan Gowser, still speak to him. Uh, whenever, you know, me and Gowser could go a year without speaking to each other, and we'd pick up the phone. It was like we spoke to each other yesterday. Do you know that's the kind of way we are? Uh, Martin Scott, who's now manager at uh, Gala Ferry Dean, um, was with Jimmy at, at at Hibs and he came out to India for, for a year as well. Um I'll try to think I'm not offending do you hear by by no 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 saying their names. I can't think of anyone else. That's that's the ones that will that come into my head straight away. Best goal that you've scored. Oh, um oh. I didn't score a lot of spectacular goals, to be fair. I was more old school. I was more, all my goals being inside the 18-yard box. But I scored one for Airdrie. Um, it was a throw-in from the left-hand side. Uh, I took it on my chest near the halfway line and kind of dribbled through the middle of the pitch and smashed it into the top corner. And I also scored a diving header in India as well. Um, I think I've actually pinned both of these goals that's how I can remember I've pinned them both on my Instagram um, I scored a diving header um, in India as well Like I, I didn't know I could fling my body like that into there and make such a good connection with the ball um, so yeah the striker at the top corner for energy and my diving header in India for Salgonka What would Daryl Duffy now say to Daryl Duffy at the age of 18 years old? When you sign for Falkirk, don't leave in January. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Um, so, Daryl, when you become a manager, what kind of style of play would you want to play? You know, I'd love to say, like, oh, you know, I'd, I want to do the pep style, you know, it's all total football and stuff, but I don't think you can be like that. I, I, I think I want to be a manager that, plays the best football with the squad that he has like I want it if I've got players that are capable of playing like that like Man City 100% that's how I would play but if I don't have players in my squad that are capable of playing like that 
I'm going to look at them, assess them, and think like, how do I get the best out of this team? If it's you know sit and defend and be counter attacking, if it's you know just being like Ange Postecoglou and just absolutely attacking teams to death, regardless how many you concede. Like if I've got players in my squad that I think are capable of that, I would do that. Um, so I'd love to be a, a football manager, but I would I would adapt to to whatever whatever I felt was necessary to be successful. Hey, what's your thoughts on VAR? Do you think it's killing the game? <sighs> I think I think it's good for some things. Um but I think when it's when it's slowed down to you know all these different frames and stuff like that, I think it's I think that's taken it too far. Um and I, it's like everything I think VAR was brought in to remove any doubt and make decisions clear as day. I don't think VAR does that. They still make mistakes with it. You know, even when they, they slow things down, they still make mistakes and they still get it wrong. And if that's the case, then let it be human error as the referee sees it on the pitch. So I don't think it's worked and I don't think it's necessary for the betterment of, of football. Who's going to win the SPFL? <laughs> Rangers. Good answer. Very good answer, Daryl. <laughs> and then last question, Daryl. Um, this is quite a controversial question to ask everyone that comes right. on the podcast. This one. Who's better, Ronaldo okay. or Messi? Oh, Messi. <laughs> Messi for me. Like, the man was born to play this game. Like, he's phenomenal. Phenomenal. I was lucky enough to, to see him live a couple of times during my career as well. When I was at Swansea, we got, we got taken over to do a, a training camp, a warm weather training camp in Spain. And it kind of coincided with a Barcelona Champions League game. And um, we got to go and watch the game. And the guy's a joke. Like, the best player I've ever seen in my life, in real life, on the TV, um, he's the only guy that can be the best player in the world and spend 50% of his game walking about. Do you know what I mean? That just tells you how good he is. Darrow, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. I really Thank enjoyed you, it. mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you want to listen to more episodes of Scott Score, they're available on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Until next time, take care and we'll see you soon.